Australian True Crime, the nation's leading independent true crime podcast, is hitting the road with our live show. We're coming to Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane this July and tickets will be available starting May 10th at 9.30am sharp. They sold out in two hours last time, so do not dilly-dally. We know the suburbs of Australia are teeming with some of the most intriguing and chilling true crime stories the world has ever heard. Don't miss the chance to dive deeper and get involved with a live Q&A. With over a million and a half downloads monthly, these tickets will sell out. So keep an eye on our social media pages and check the podcast bio for direct links to purchase yours as soon as they're released on Friday, May 10. I can't wait to see you there. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The producers of this podcast... Recognise the traditional owners of the land on which it's recorded. They pay respect to the Aboriginal elders past, present and those emerging. The following podcast contains accounts of sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised. Got the call from the sergeant, told us that we had to turn out to this investigation, uh, which was out in Thornbury. The initial response will be from a divisional van, usually, so the call's gone through to triple zero and it comes to them. Depending on what's been reported, to then lead to different departments. So it went to the child and sex abuse unit, the initial response because of the sexual assault. They make an assessment and then they contact us. The main reason why it comes to us is because it was an unknown offender. One of our key criteria is that an unknown offender is ours, the sexual crime squad because uh, the offender in this case um, had a knife. So then we got told about that, but then we also, it came out that Dimity had stabbed him with his own knife. So that in itself was uh, something that I've not had. That's Detective Leading Senior Constable Brett Snagowski speaking on last week's episode of Australian True Crime about a case he investigated in 2019. At the beginning of that episode, we heard the complainant in the case, a woman by the name of Dimity, who read some of her extraordinary victim impact statement for us. Here's an excerpt from that piece. Every single day that I've lived since the assault has been marked in some way. The best I can describe it 
is that a dark cloud that feels like dread and heaviness is always waiting close by. It comes when I leave the house alone, especially at night, but to my disappointment in the daytime, and I think about the risks, and in turn I'm reminded of the assault. This is especially relevant when I'm walking a dog or exercising. When in a supermarket, a tram or the street, seeing a man's face whose similarity reminds me of him, I have to remind myself that he's not currently out in public. Sometimes when I think about or engage in intimate acts with my partner, when I see children and I can't help but think about their potential to grow into someone who could assault or be assaulted, I also feel a lot of guilt. I feel guilty that I survived when other women in my situation didn't. This is Australian True Crime with Michelle Laurie and Emily Webb. Come with us as we go beyond the news cycle to find out how people become killers, how people become victims and what happens next. Today we speak to Dimity about the night of the assault, the investigation from her perspective, why she chooses to speak about her experience and how she feels about it now. But first... And most importantly, we need to know lots of other things about Dimity. So I have three older sisters. Ah, the baby. Yes, Uh which may have taught me a little bit of strength, being beaten up and sat on by older sisters (laughs) for many years. Uh I grew up in Adelaide first and then Alice Springs. I think my time in Alice Springs probably made me a more colourful and interesting person. I moved to Melbourne in my early 20s with dreams of being a fashion photographer. Ah. Please don't tell anyone that. <laughs> no, that's all right. I thought you were creative, artistic. Mm. Yeah. So I've worked in photography since I was a teenager, so for 15 years. And I started my own business in photography in Melbourne with a friend and we ran that for about eight years. Mm. And that was incredible, running a female-led business with female staff and doing pretty well at it. You're still doing that? Not photography anymore. Mm-hmm. Now I am part of I'm part of a tech startup called Body Guide and we've made an app that helps people treat their aches and pains without actually having to go to a physio or a chiro to get a massage. They can do it at home. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's been a very interesting change of pace. See, so very creative and strong-willed. Entrepreneurial. Yeah. Yeah, great. <laughs> Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we have to get to the incident. Do you talk about it much? I do. And I think a lot of people I talk to about it are usually shocked or taken aback about how casually I can talk about it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think it's more distressing for the person I'm telling. And I, I do need to be mindful of that because recently I told a friend who was in my sort of wider network, I work with her. And she was gobsmacked for about 24 hours. Yeah. And she came back to me a few days later and said, I can't stop thinking about what you told me. And I realized that I had probably made her life worse by telling her my story and maybe springing it on her in such a casual way. Well, how did it come up? We were, we were on King Island as part of a work getaway. It's very lovely. We're sitting in a bakery and I can't remember what triggered it but it would have been something along the lines of maybe how bad a year I'd had the previous year Mm. and I was with another friend who knows the story a close friend Mm. and I said oh yeah the assault thing and she looked at me 
and just stopped. And I said, ah, the assault thing. Now I have to tell you a little story. And I went on to explain it to her rather than um, leave her, I guess, knowing there was an an assault but not knowing what it was. It's interesting because, I mean, you don't have to... You don't. You don't have to tell her or or us or anyone. So it's interesting. Why do you think you do talk about it? I think I made a choice not to be ashamed by it and to not tell people or to keep it a secret. Or when people are talking about a similar topic or make a joke or something in the neighbourhood of assault, for me to not mention it or not bring it up seems like I'm ashamed of it or I'm hiding it. I think I'm doing a disservice to other people who can't talk about their assaults. I think as someone who can talk about being assaulted, I should. And when you raise the idea of telling a joke about it, I feel like we shouldn't move on from that really quickly because whenever there is a joke in popular culture, a rape joke, it is always a big discussion point and there is the group of people who says, oh, it's a joke didn't mean anything by it. It's just a joke. So what can you tell us about how it feels when a football player tells a rape joke on the radio, for example, or something like that happens? I think, and I know people might not agree with me on this, but I think context is important. I think being able to joke about things can be therapeutic, but the culture and the setting of a joke is important. A footballer who is part of a very rapey culture shouldn't be able to make a rape joke. I think it does create really important opportunities for other people to speak up and to let people know that it's not okay to call out other people. It pisses me off. It makes me want to say something. Um, And depending on the, you know, if it's in the media, I can't say something. I'm just little on me. Well, (laughs) not today you're not. (laughs) <laughs> Today you're in the media. So what would, what would you like to, to say about the assault? How do you normally talk about it? How do you, do you describe it? Um, a little too casually. If I'm describing it to someone, I actually t- <laughs> I told someone on a second date the other night. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, that's Which- another thing too, yeah. I mean, you're a young, beautiful woman. You're dating, obviously. Yeah. Normally I avoid that. I feel like even though I'm not ashamed of it and it's not a secret, I find that it can complicate other people's feelings and um, so I, I tend to avoid it for as long as possible with boys. Except with this one. <laughs> How? Why was this person? Uh, we were just in an oversharing mode. Mm. And did it change anything? Did it change? I mean, is there a th- was there a third date? Is there a third date on the cards? There might be a third date. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Um, what were we saying before that? Well, how, did you, how do you normally <laughs> talk about it? Uh, how did so, you d- describe it to that person? Um, I usually just say I was assaulted in a park close to my home. I was taking a dog for a walk. I don't know. If I describe it how I describe it to someone else, it would be different how I, to how I describe it to you guys. Well, okay, you describe it to us how you would describe it to us then, <laughs> you t- any way you want. Um, this is your show. So I I was dog-sitting a dog. So I was taking a dog for a walk and I had made a very – let me preface this by saying like 
as a young female, anytime I leave the house at night or go camping or go traveling, I'm always aware that this is like very much a possibility. I know we all are. Yeah. Like, like, yeah, like every woman, I leave the house knowing that there's a risk. So I had put on a puffy jacket. I was wearing over ear headphones with a beanie over the top of them. So I looked like a Teletubby. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I look, I remember looking in the mirror at what I was wearing and thinking, this should be enough to deter trouble. Like I looked absurd. Um, so I took the dog for a walk. And by that, can I just, do you mean you didn't look sexy? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I look. Who would want to root this? <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. It's so silly, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think my hair was up under the beanie, which I think, I don't know, I, th- I think of like the women that predators might want to target and it's long flowing hair and it's long legs and it's this and that and so I was buying into that bullshit of what you dress Mm -hmm. makes a difference. We just got a message during the week from a lady who said she was raped four years ago and she goes, and all I could think of was, who rapes a 46-year-old woman? It's interesting what we tell ourselves, isn't it? Yes, we, we do tell ourselves something to make ourselves feel a little bit more okay with leaving the house. Yeah. A little bit safer. I had done a lap of the streets and I came out of a side street and nearly bumped into someone and I sort of laughed and moved aside and then I ended up at the pedestrian lights waiting to cross and there was someone standing in the kind of in the shadows off to one side and I was standing right at the front of the street ready to cross but having someone lurking in the shadows I think started to sort of tweak my senses I I started to become aware that um, I don't even know how to describe it it was simply an awareness that there was someone next to me and they were a male and I should be careful it's time to be serious So we crossed at the lights, but I walked slowly and let him walk ahead of me and I was walking behind him down the street and I thought to myself, I don't particularly want to walk home with this guy just ahead of me and have him know where I live. He hadn't done anything to make me think that he was a risk or I was in danger, but it was just a choice I made, just always be careful. So I crossed the street and went to the playground and... I was hanging on the monkey bars and when I hopped off them, I took a step back and nearly bumped into the guy and I just started laughing. I said, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. You scared the shit out of me. And he didn't say much. He didn't smile. I think I found that the strangest thing, that I was laughing and apologising and he didn't smile or engage with me in a normal way. Then he told me he lost his wallet and needed some help finding it and I wasn't comfortable. I I didn't feel comfortable in that situation but I didn't say no. I got out my phone and I was looking down at my phone with a little torch on. Were you frightened yet? Were you too scared to say, no, I'm not going to help you or, you know, sometimes you sort of um, want to agree to anything a man will say to keep him calm or keep him you just feel like I don't want to make this guy angry or 
I wasn't worried about making him angry. I was uncomfortable. I didn't want to help him. And in my brain, there was a back and forth of just say no and leave. And there was just help him, you rude bitch. <laughs> I, I didn't realize how much danger I was in well, at no, that stage. Of course not, yeah. So I was very much tossing up between helping him and not helping him. And I thought the right thing to do is to help this man find his wallet. I wish, like I feel dumb about that. No, no, that's not dumb. A strange man in a park asked no. you to help him find his wallet. We're conditioned as well to be be helpful. And he, he didn't seem that scary. He wasn't six foot five. He wasn't 30 years old or 40 years old and muscly. He was... They never do look scary. Scary men don't get close to women. <laughs> they can't get close to us. <laughs> um, so he said, just over here, and he walked off away from the playground, away from the lights into the darker part of the oval, and I followed him, but I was looking down at my phone trying to make the torch light brighter. And when I looked up, um, he was facing away from me and he turned around and he had a knife and he pointed it at me. And my first reaction, I just laughed. I, th I think I said, as if you're serious or like, <laughs> you've got to be joking. And he was so calm. He was just like, no, come over here. Shush. I don't know why I didn't run. The, the knife is a scary thing because I feel like at any stage it, things can go from bad to really bad. Um, so he grabbed me and pushed me further into the oval and then pushed me down onto the ground and he, meanwhile I'm holding a dog lead and there's a dog next to me, a little fluffy white dog. <laughs> Um, he got on top of me. I was on my back and he had the knife in one hand and started to assault me with his other hand. And there's only like two things I remember really clearly. One is I was lying on my back and I looked over at the house lights and the street lights and they just looked so far away and it felt like screaming was not very useful and I was trying to like keep it together and I didn't want to waste all my energy screaming and I didn't want to just lay there and take it. So I just concentrated on the knife. That's all I concentrated on. I just wanted to, it was scaring the shit out of me. Like, that if I screamed too loud or if I hurt him, he would use the knife to hurt me worse. And I, I think that was, that was kind of what kept me from doing anything too drastic. So I concentrated on trying to get the knife out of his hands and then he rolled me over and I heard him undo his belt buckle and his pants and I thought this is the moment where I get raped this is it this is and I felt like it was like I had 
it was now or never. So at that stage I got the knife out of his hands. How? I mean. I don't know. Wow. (laughs) Actually, I did. I had to make a sacrifice. I was using one hand to stop him, to try and stop him from assaulting me, and I had to take that hand away and use both my hands to try and get the knife. So I had to allow him to do whatever he wanted so that I could get the knife. That was a good decision. There have been enough women murdered while they've been raped in this town, that was the right decision. It feels like it. Yeah, every day of the week. <laughs> and I grabbed the knife and I swung it as hard as I could and I, I hit something. <laughs> and he wasn't on me anymore and I grabbed the dog and I ran <laughs> for my life. Um, I had no idea if he was like behind me or I I had no idea what was happening. And I ran into the street and banged on a car window hysterically. A moving car? Uh, He was waiting at the lights. (laughs) I think I was screaming, let me in. Yeah. And he was like, it's open. (laughs) (laughs) And so I sat in the car with this guy. It was a weird vibe in the car, <laughs> sitting there, and I was like, a little bit surprised. Yeah, I think I probably scared the shit out of him—a crazy yeah. lady with a dog and a knife. She still had the knife. <laughs> God, how frightening for him yeah. too. But good on him for letting you in the car. Jeez, he's a nice guy. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> I remember getting into the car with a dog in one arm and the knife in my other hand, and best dog sitter ever, by the yeah. way. Yeah. I know it's still got the dog. And 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 said, take me home? You got him to take you home? No. I threw the knife down into the centre console and I said, what is wrong with people? <laughs> Good question. Did he call the police for you or did you call? Oh, no, you didn't have your phone. I didn't have my phone. I asked him to call the police. And then halfway through the phone call, I was like, oh, just give me the phone. I'll do it. <laughs> so where did he take you? Uh, about 50 metres down the road. And then we stopped and we waited for the police to arrive. I, I can't remember, but I assume the, the the police told me maybe not to leave that they're on there. And this, so this stranger just waited with you in his car and for the, for the police. Yeah. When it comes to reporting a sexual assault, if the assault has just happened, go somewhere safe, call triple zero, and ask for police. Don't disturb the area where the assault happened. Don't bath or shower. Don't eat or drink anything. Don't wash or discard the clothing you wore during the assault. When it comes to reporting historical sexual assault, so that's any sexual assault that happened days, weeks, months, or even years ago, it's never too late. Delays in reporting sexual assault are very common for lots of reasons. If you wish to report historical sexual abuse involving institutions or religious organisations, there's a dedicated task force you can contact. It's called the Sarno Task Force and you can phone 1-800-110-007 or email sarnotaskforce at police.vic.gov.au and all of that info will be in the show notes to this episode. (laughs) 
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. There's the part that Brett said, which is, I said two things to him to try and deter. To the offender. Yeah. Yeah. To, dra- to try and deter the assault, which was, I said, which was not true. I said, I've got my period, so good luck with that, which didn't make any difference to him. But I have read that. I've mm. read to try and say that. Yeah. That it might put them off. <laughs> it didn't. No. No. <laughs> um, and the other thing I, I said to him was when we were struggling, I said, it, it's going to fucking hurt when I stab you. And then I got to stab him. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, <laughs> So glad you stabbed him. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. <laughs> and you stabbed him in the buttock, I believe. Mm. <sighs> Blimey. <laughs> uh, was he chasing you? Did you ever find out? What, do we know what where he was when you were running? I assume not in hindsight. Mm. Do you know Brett? Do you know Brett? He ended up just taking off and leaving the area. The The swing of the arm and the impact of the knife into the upper buttock area caused enough damage to it. He decided to just get out of there. Scarpa. Mm. He left a nice little trail. Of course, blood trail. Did you follow it? We did, we did. So that resulted in when we, when you were, when Dimity was waiting, a number of the police were just to clarify where it happened. And as a result of that, that's where we found obviously a lot of blood and a trail. You were amazing. You're amazing. You were amazing that night and you are amazing. Are you proud of yourself for doing that? Yeah. Yeah, I am. Yeah. I, I'm I'm proud that I was able to keep my cool enough to make decisions and I'm proud that I was able to get out of there. I, it gave me a sense of confidence in a way, which is that now I know what I'm like under pressure. Right? Yeah. You know what you're made of. <laughs> I think it's important to note, and the first time I met her, I was in her house and she sat on the couch and we go through the process of what's available, counselling, etc. And she just turns around and just says, I'm not going to let this define me. 
this is the very next morning when I meet, talked on her couch, I'm not going to let this define me. I think that's incredibly powerful. Yeah. And it sounds like it wasn't just bravado. It it's actually was real. And Nobody knows how you're going to react and what will happen if you react. But to to still have that attitude the next day, because I think from us, it's about providing the help that people may need. Some want help, some don't. Yeah. But to say that, it really put in perspective to us what type of person we're dealing with. It's incredibly moving um, mm. meeting you, Dimity. It really yeah. is. And we've met sexual assault survivors before and it's always moving, of course, but God, you're um you're a mighty, mighty little tiny lady. <laughs> I'm sure I'm not the first person to tell you that. Gosh, I do want to laugh and cry at the same time a lot today. It's incredible listening mm. to you. It's like playing through your head. It's like what every woman fears essentially and wondering what do I do, you know, what do I say, even about saying I've got my period. I've, I've thought that in my head about if something happens, that's one of my things that I'll do, you know, um, would I fight back, would I not? Did you take all the counselling and all the services that were offered? Short answer is no. Mm-hmm. I had a feeling. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm all for it. Um, I was I was really impressed that I was offered not one but two different types of counselling. Um, I did go to one of, I th- is it CASA? I went to one of the CASA counselling sessions and just on a personal level I just didn't click with the counsellor. But I have my own psych and mm-hmm. so I just see her and yeah. she's been great. But it was comforting to know that there was counselling on offer and, yeah, not just one service but two. So you were seeing a psych before? Mm-hmm. That's probably why you're so <laughs> on she's top a good of psych. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you're already taking care of your mental health before this happened. Were you surprised in any way about what your experience was like with reporting and with the police and also because your offender, you went through the court process and he was jailed. Was there anything that yeah, tell us surprised about that. you? Yeah. Tell us about that entire process. The, the process on the night, I remember a lot of that quite vividly and even that night thinking, <laughs> I thought to myself, after the third person knocked on the car window, so I had to sit in a police car for a while at the scene. And various police officers and detectives, I think, knocked on the car window and opened the door and they said, hello, Dimity, I'm really sorry for what you've been through. Nobody should have to go through this. I've just got to ask you some questions. I'm sure you've told this story a hundred times tonight and I'm really sorry. I just need to ask you a couple of questions. But they all said something similar to that. They were all really, I assume, trained very well, but also really kind, really compassionate, very gentle with me, um, very considerate. So even though sitting in a cop car at the scene of an assault for a time and then go to the hospital and do the rape kit and then get deposited home by two nice police officers, it was a long process but I think managed quite well. I think I was grateful that I was not more of a mess. I, I wonder how women who've had a worse time get through that. The next day was a long day, giving a statement and doing the police confit. Is that what they're called? I don't know. What are they called? Just our statement process. And the, what's the picture oh. thing called? Oh, um, 
Yeah, uh, part of part of what we do is obviously if a person can provide us a face fit, um, and she met with one of our artists and spent some time, and that's usually after a statement or when we can fit it in at the best time. We don't like to leave that too long because that image of the face um, is crucial. And in this case, it was an amazing likeness. Uh, our artist, um, Andy Goodsner, was, um, did an incredible job, um, obviously with Dimity, and um, the likeness was amazing. So. Gosh, oh, that's um, But creepy. it is a lengthy process. Yeah, we know how human memory works, which is actually quite badly, isn't it? We think it's uh, photographic, but it's really not. So you've got to get onto that quickly. I can't imagine how that was to be trying to picture that man's face it was for the, hours. The statement and doing the face was a long process. Mm. It, it felt like all day. I think I was there from like maybe 10 to 5 or something. Yeah. And no offence, but police stations are really airless and tiring. What if you've got against windows, you guys? Like, aren't they? They're, like, really exhausting. It's like, God, and they've got no snacks. Why? Why don't they have snacks? So it's like it feels like a re- longer, doesn't it, in there? Mm. Mm. It was a long day, but it was, um, it, it was still okay. It was exhausting. I went home that night and slept a lot. Who do you live or who did you live with? Uh, housemates. I live in a share house. Okay. So how was all that? Were they supportive and taking care of you or? Yeah, they were very supportive. Um, my boyfriend was at the house by the time I got home from the hospital that night. Um, how did he cope with oh, it? Badly. Yeah. I can't imagine how how much pressure that puts on a relationship. I think I... I he did a very good job, but he was, I think, more emotionally affected than I was. Mm. Are you still friends at all? Yes. Yeah. He he did the best he could, and I think he did a pretty good job. It didn't negatively affect our relationship. We didn't. We didn't suffer. Except that you're not together anymore. <laughs> That's a whole bunch of other reasons. <laughs> okay, I'm sure it is. I'm sure. I'm sure. It... Okay. So the court process. Court process. How was that? Yes. Confusing, mostly because I don't understand all of the term terminology used. None of us do. Yeah. So there was lots of words where I I was sort of following along the general idea of things but didn't entirely understand. How about seeing the offender again? Did you see, were you there that day? Or I think I was really there? lucky because of COVID. Everything was remote. Everything was via, via video conference. Um, I think there's something to notice too that um, someone who comes forward and, and they're going through the court process, we can do that even regardless of COVID. It can be done by video links um, because of and it's offered because some people just don't not want to be in that same room. Of course not. Yeah. Others great. want to confront. Others don't want to go anywhere near there. And to know that that's available um, can actually make the a little bit easier for people to go through the, the system. I didn't even know that. No, that's important to know mm. if you're considering reporting as well, yeah. isn't it? And I was presented with those options. There was, I think, a time before the trial pre-lockdown where we didn't know or it would have been a regular court hearing and I was given the option that I could completely not be there. I could be in the room or I could be in another room watching via video link. And I think initially I had chosen to be in the room. I wanted to be there. I wanted to see him. 
in person to see this person that I I don't really remember and couldn't remember if they were real. But then COVID happened and we ended up doing it via video conference. And it was very strange to see him. The actual hearings or whatever they're called, the court case, seeing him in person, it made me feel a little bit more ashamed. Again, he wasn't this big, scary guy. He was just a regular guy. With a knife. (laughs) Yes, Mm. regular guy with a knife. Mm. And he's not very intelligent. Um, No, (laughs) he's really not. He just stole your phone. Some of our information came from her sister because she had her sister's number on there if you find my phone. So the person that was going to purchase the phone contacted the sister and that got the ball rolling for us. But that made me feel more stupid that I'd been duped by a not very bright person. (laughs) You were bright enough to get the knife off him and get away with your life. Throughout everything, there's always been a feeling of shame, like it's all too much. Like I remember on the night, I think there were so many police cars and people and lights. I think there was a helicopter. I think there was police dogs. Well, they they would have been trying to find him with the helicopter and that, wouldn't they? And I I get that it's a matter of public safety as well. Mm but I was sitting in the back of that car just like wishing the world would swallow me up. I was like, there's too much happening and it's all for me, for this shitty little thing that just happened. I just don't want to, I don't want this to happen. It was a lot. And it felt like that throughout the, the court process as well. All of these people, support people, detectives, lawyers. It was just so many people and so many things and I can't even imagine what it cost. It just seemed like... Timidity. It just seemed like a lot. <laughs> it was a lot, but, I mean, he sexually assaulted you. Like, that's a lot. That's the worst. Mm, and you've got to get him off the streets. Yeah, and he could have done he, more. He was about to do more. God knows where, where it was heading. Yeah, he did the worst. And, like, that's what we, we've been trying to get. No offence these guys to do forever (laughs) is throw everything at men like this. Throw everything at them, you know. I'm afraid to ask what this guy got, how long he got put away for. I'm afraid to ask because I'm scared I'm going to hear a number that I don't like and I'm going to (sighs) cry. But we're going to have to ask. (laughs) I can jump in if you want. Thank you. I can't remember. (laughs) You can't remember. Like, is it... Ten years? Yeah, so what's happened is um, he's pled guilty at the first opportunity. Right, so that means he gets less. So he gets a bit less. So um, the final really come down, ten years, one month, with a minimum of six years. Is it a first offence, Brad? Um, He's had of this nature or serious nature, yes. Um, The rest of it was just very low-level offending. Because we know that also goes into account, doesn't it, if it's a first offence of that nature, not that it. Six is not bad for a first offence, is it? Um, for this particular offence, having 10 years, one month on top. Mm. And don't forget that it also then includes the sex offender registry, et cetera. Uh-huh. So okay. that's a follow-on effect. So, yeah, um, we, I don't 
challenge or think about too much about the the sentencing. I, I think that's I do. Yeah, and there's plenty of people that are going to look at it because I think if we did, it'd, no, it'd, I get that. In your position, I get that you can't, you just can't. But as a woman, I do because I think, well, in six years, he'll be out to rape somebody else. So I do. But you know, I know to, to get a conviction's massive, mm. and and six isn't bad for a first offence. It is, and that's as far as um, sentencing for this. It, um, the aggravating circumstances also that, so, that he had a weapon. You mean had a weapon, so that impacts on sentencing as well. And that was part of um, part of the plea deal that that aggravating circumstance wasn't left out, even though he like pled guilty. Yeah, yeah, that's good to know at least. Yeah, it is. I do, do feel myself having a physical reaction to it though, because you just think, well, he just shouldn't be allowed anywhere near humans after what he's done to you because he just doesn't get it. He doesn't understand how to be around people. Do you have any signs of PTSD, do you think? How, how has your behaviour changed in the world, Dimity? Do you walk at night? Would you, would you walk a dog at night? I mean, how, how has your life changed? It really hasn't changed too much. I still walk at night. And I don't feel as safe, but it's definitely a fuck you to the world of I'm not going to not go outside at night. I don't want to be frightened into staying indoors and always needing someone with me. I mean, that sounds great, but you're also (laughs) saying to us things like, but I feel stupid, I feel worse because he's dumb. I feel there's shame because he's not that big. You are sort of saying things that make me feel like. <laughs> it's very confusing it to is. be a woman. Yeah. You have to be brave and stupid. To be a woman. <laughs> you just... <laughs> yeah. Like, you're the most articulate person I've ever heard when it comes to describing what it's like to be a woman. <laughs> You really are. Makes a lot of sense. You've got to play different roles depending on the circumstance, don't you? Mm-hmm. Play it up, play it down. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm scared. I leave the house and I'm scared, but I'm, I'm not going to stay inside. I did have some pretty shitty behaviours after the assault, which were I would go and read the comment sections and look for the pieces of shit who were victim-blaming and saying awful things. To fight with them, to argue with them. Sometimes just to read it and feel that anger. I don't think it was very healthy. <laughs> no, but we've all done that in different ways, but not, I think, yeah, that's pretty. So it's almost self-harming, isn't it? Yeah, I think you're right. Mm. I had to take myself off Facebook and delete all my news apps for a, for a while, for a long while. I don't think I have the drive or the ability to speak publicly to go and do something like that incredible woman from Tasmania. You've definitely got the ability, but <laughs> it's just about whether... I, I, I do really care about it and I, I care about it from more of a systemic place. I think... I made a social media post after that woman was set on fire by her husband in Brisbane, not not the one this week. Yeah. 
But the other one. Can you believe it? I know. Not it's the unbelievable. One this week. And I was mm. blown away by the way the media reported on that. Tell us what you mean by that. How did the media report on it from your perspective? They didn't use the children or the mother's names. It was all about the perpetrator. It was all about this very unwell man, but they still talked about him like he was a local sports hero. Mm -hmm. It said wife burned to death or wife killed, but they didn't use the word murdered. I don't know whether there are rules around what they can and can't say. No, but that's a decision. That's an editorial decision. I've been in the meetings. That's a decision they make. It's so messed up. Mm. I think, you know, I have a a young nephew and I talk to my sister regularly about how her and her husband are informing him about consent and how to treat women and I, I think it starts from a young age and I think it's very important that we change the way we educate boys we're not doing anything wrong. The women aren't at fault here. I know it's not a black and white male-female issue, but it's a lot of women are being affected by this. We've talked a lot today about how we feel about when we walk out the door and all the things that we do. You're so right. We haven't talked about how we tell our sons to behave when they're out and about. Don't take a knife out. Thank you to our guest, Dimity, and thank you for downloading this episode of Australian True Crime, for supporting us and our guests. We'll be back next week. This has been another Smartfella production in conjunction with the Acast Creator Network. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Australian True Crime, the nation's leading independent true crime podcast, is hitting the road with our live show. We're coming to Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane this July and tickets will be available starting May 10th at 9.30am sharp. They sold out in two hours last time, so do not dilly-dally. We know the suburbs of Australia are teeming with some of the most intriguing and chilling true crime stories the world has ever heard. Don't miss the chance to dive deeper and get involved with a live Q&A. With over a million and a half downloads monthly, these tickets will sell out. So keep an eye on our social media pages and check the podcast bio for direct links to purchase yours as soon as they're released on Friday, May 10. I can't wait to see you there.